Thanks, Joy. Well, I don't know if you've got uh, Bible reading indigestion after that, right? It's a pretty packed passage. I, I, said, I said in the previous service, it's as packed as Hong Kong Airport on a protest. Um, it's, a, uh, it's absolutely dense, isn't it? It really is, just totally thick. And so what I want to do today is ask God's help that we might make something of it. So I figure you're as invested as I am in praying about that. Does that make sense? So let, let's pray and talk to God. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this part of the letter to the Colossians. We're thankful for Paul's incredible insight into who you are and what you've done. And we ask this morning that we might grasp some of it so that you might change us to be more like Jesus. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Awesome. Well, I wonder whether you've had the experience of being made to feel small. The experience of being made to feel small. Do you know what it's like to be made to feel small by someone who feels superior. I've got a picture there of a tiny boat next to a gigantic boat. Okay? Now, some people will give you this impression that you're not as important as them, that they are towering in some way. Now, some people are physically like that, and I have more opportunities for that than some of you do. Uh, but, so you can look up to people, right? Maybe you meet a hero, and so they're great in a sport that you like and that you understand how poor you are, and you think they are just immeasurably better than me. In some sense, the situation for the Colossians is like this, but they're made to feel small spiritually. They're made to feel small spiritually. And Paul's answer, I'll I'll save you from having a cliffhanger ending, Paul's answer is to say that they're not. They're not spiritually small at all. They're not spiritually small at all. Have a listen to what he says to them in verses 6 and 7. So if you can get Colossians open, it's really helpful to have that part of the Bible in front of us. Here's what he says. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, this is a brilliant verse, and essentially what he's going to do is he's going to say, you have it all in Jesus. And if I had it all, I'd do a longer sermon series and turn this into a message on its own. But I can't do that. I've got all these verses in front of me. So I want to give you the four-point summary for what Paul just said. He says, in order to know that you're not a spiritual pygmy, what you need to do is you need to live in Jesus. You need to... Be conscious of Jesus in your daily living. Is he real to you? Do you walk with him? He says we need to be rooted in him. You need to recall where you started. Did you dive into Jesus and say, Jesus, I love you. Remember how you started. Be rooted in him. We need to have faith in him. We need to treasure what he has done on the cross and cling to it. Cling tightly to it. And we need to be thankful to him. We need to rejoice in what he has done for us. There's four points. What do they have in common? Well, they all have this in him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. If you want to not feel like a spiritual pygmy, what do you need to know? It is all about Jesus. And what it's going to do is unpack that over the course of the message that we're looking at this morning. But it's interesting, I don't think there's very many times as Christians in Australia that we get made to feel like spiritual pygmies. 
We've just kind of lost. This isn't a thing that we kind of do. We don't really do spiritual uh, superiority very much. Ours is far more secular. Let, Let me explain what I mean. Have you ever had anyone make you feel small because you're not on the keto diet? Right? Oh, you're not. Oh, well, I don't know how you're, you know, you're going to be able to look after you. And then maybe it's, um, oh, man, you wouldn't believe where I went, you know. I was on the mountain, and there was a lonely path, and it was the Himalayas, and I was just doing my third mountain for the morning. Really? You know, I haven't been out of Oran Park. The only heights I've seen are in, you know, Harrington Park, up the top of a... That's, that's all I've done, you know. And, and it's, it's, this is the insidious thing on social media, isn't it, Right? How often do we go for holidays? Not very often. But if you follow enough people, someone is always on holidays, aren't they? And someone is always doing something extraordinary, yes? And so the impression we have is everyone is always doing extraordinary things. How big do you feel? I, I just go to work and sit on the M5 and count headlights, you know? That, that's all. It, it, we feel small, right? Or what about the crucial cause, you know? Um, I I don't know, I I lost track of why that image is up there, but okay, the crucial cause. Essentially, hey, um, I'm going to run seven marathons in a row and raise $800 for for cancer, right? Brilliant, okay? But now you have to know that I'm awesome because I'm doing all this amazing stuff. I hope you feel really small. When was the last time you ran 800 kilometres for cancer? You know, so these awesome causes that people have can make us feel tiny. Or or maybe it's their fitness fanaticism, right? It's their fitness fanaticism. I might be guilty of some of this, right? Okay, but but here's 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 the thing, right? So so there's there's actually a thing that goes on the oval down here, and on the side of the truck it says body war. That's what it's called. You know, we're we're gonna go and beat our bodies up. What's your, you know, pre-dawn fitness program looking like? When was the last time, oh, you know, we, so we, we can feel tiny, right? And so I don't think on the whole that we're made to feel like tiny little pygmies spiritually. But what can happen as we listen to the world around us is we can think, yeah, I'm following Jesus, but I'm not really living the kind of life that all these extraordinary people around me are doing. And so we can feel small even as Christians. For the Colossians... Your best life is found by additional spirituality. You started with Jesus, good work, nice. If you want to be awesome, you've got to add other things to Jesus. For us, you found Jesus, well, now we need you to live a personally fulfilled life. You know, when was your last cancer run? When was the last cause that you... You need to add these other things in if you're going to live a really worthwhile life. I think the answer to both of them is actually found in this passage, although Paul wouldn't recognize the challenges that we face. Paul warns the Colossians. Have a look at his warning in verse 8. See to it, he says, that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. He says there's an an empty philosophy that's trying to grab hold of you. And it's based on two things, ancient wisdom or human tradition, and behind it is something far more insidious. Because it was spiritual, this additional spirituality that they bring, he's saying, do you know what's behind that? It's not God. What's behind this extra spirituality is actually demonic in origin. It's evil. Beware... O little church in Colossae, beware. 
What they are offering you seeks to enslave you and leave you lacking. How will you know that you're in danger of this? You'll know that you're obligated to do a whole bunch of stuff and that you feel tiny and inferior. And Paul says, watch out. We're going to see as we go through this passage, and part of the reason it's so dense is Paul's kind of addressing a whole lot of different attacks that are going on against the Colossian church. And we need to understand a little bit of the background to get what he says next. Now, this is a magnificent uh, sculpture of a Greek man. And what it tells us is the Greeks loved the physical form. They loved perfection. I, I shouldn't do it, should I? I don't, I don't measure up to this bloke. Uh, I'll keep my hands to myself. Uh, they loved perfection in the physical form. Okay, and, and what was happening was the people around the Colossian church were saying, well, you've started as Christians, you need to add in circumcision. Now, guys, have you ever heard that word said so many times in church? I mean, here we go. It's just, why are we talking about that in church? And so essentially what happens is Colossians, oh, Colossians, you're not there yet, okay? Circumcision, if you want to be right with God, you've started with Jesus, good work, but you need circumcision as well. Circumcision is ancient, it's Jewish, it's painful, and it would make you obedient to God's word. So what they're trying to add is a level of physical spirituality. And uh, it's really interesting. The Greeks were appalled by this idea, not, not only because it hurt a lot, but because it marred their perfect bodies. This is a really interesting thing, right? So when someone said you need to be circumcised, it would have blown their minds. But if you did it, clearly you were hardcore, right? You were serious about following Jesus. And so that's what was being offered to them. Have a look what is said then in the verses that follow. And they might make a little bit more sense now if we read verses 9 to 12. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now bear with me. What just happened? Let me, let me break it down for you. Jesus is fully God. Great. Jesus is fully God. Fantastic. And then he says, we have fullness in Jesus. If you're with Jesus, you lack nothing spiritually. You lack nothing spiritually. And then he says, actually, what's happened to you is you've had a spiritual circumcision. Fantastic, right? Because not a piece of flesh was put off, but have a look what it says here. In verse 11, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. God separated us from our old sinful life. It was a spiritual cutting off. So don't need to do any physical cutting off because it's all been done in Jesus. How did that happen? Well, in baptism, we're joined to Jesus' story and he does his work in us spiritually. What do the Colossians need to know? They need to know they have fullness in Jesus and they don't need any physical cutting. Well, the next thing has to do, a little bit of background here, has to do with this picture. Now, I think I show this pretty regularly at Easter time. Um, it's a piece of graffiti, ancient graffiti, called Alexa Menos Worships His God. 
And you can see there's a cross there. Can you see that? And there's a man on the cross who's Jesus. And what's the problem with the picture? What's, what's happened to his head? It's a donkey's head. Now, here's the cool thing to know. Even in ancient times, if you call someone a donkey, it wasn't very complimentary, okay? All right? And so what he's saying here is this silly Christian bloke is worshipping a crucified donkey because anyone who died on the cross was utterly humiliated. So if you say your God was crucified, you're cuckoo, right? That's making fun worthy because the cross is about humiliation and shame. If you wanted glory in the ancient Roman world, what you would do is you would have a triumph. And a triumph is after a general has won a battle, what he would do is he would march into Rome. He would get a special wreath on his head. He would have a special chariot. His uh, enemies would be in shackles and led before him. He would be uh, marching in with all these accolades going up and his army would march behind him. It was a public triumph and it put the enemies to shame. Keep both of those, mind, those things in mind. We're going to hear another challenge that was before the Colossians. Oh, Colossians, you haven't arrived yet. How will you pay back the sins you've committed since you started believing? This is a really interesting one, right? So if we think about when you, when you became a Christian, if you haven't yet, today's a good day, by the way, right? But think about the day when you became a Christian. And you go, okay, when I said, I'm sorry, God, for my sins, we understand that in the past, all of my sins have been forgiven. Does that make sense? They're done. They're utterly forgiven. But then you think, will I sin tomorrow? Well, what do you reckon, church? Do you reckon you'll sin tomorrow? Yeah, but don't be too quick with that because we're going to intend to be holy. Is that right? Okay, we, yes. But we, we will probably sin in the future. So you go, hang on. When I confess my sins and I, I said, Jesus, you're my Lord, he forgave my sins in the past. What about my sins in the future? And so I think what was happening for the Colossians was they said, yes, Colossians, you've trusted in Jesus, but now we need extra help for your future. Does that make sense? Okay, now see what Paul says. It's pretty remarkable in these next couple of verses. Have a look with me at 13 to 15. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What's he trying to tell them? Well, he says, first things first, you need to acknowledge the bad news. You were spiritually dead. You couldn't be right with God because you had no ability. You were spiritually dead. But in Jesus, all of your sins have been forgiven, not just in the past. How do I know this, by the way? Come, come with me for a little thought experiment. We go, when I became a Christian, right? Jesus has covered all of my sins in the past, right? Okay. Were you born when Jesus died on the cross? Just, just think with me for a second. Most of you can say no. Is that right? Good. Okay. Okay. So you weren't born when he died for you on the cross, but you say, my sins up to today have been paid for by what he did on the cross. You know you didn't exist then. What I'm telling you is he paid for your sins past, present, and how do I know that? Because he died for you before you were born. So if your past has been forgiven, you can know for sure your future is too. Are you with me? Awesome, right? So all of your sins were forgiven 
And at the cross, what it, what it says he did is he took the notice of our charge of legal indebtedness. What does that mean? Basically, if God has a list of all your sins, it was taken to the cross and nailed up there. And then it was shredded and burnt and destroyed. It's all been dealt with at the cross. And in fact, instead of humiliation, Paul says, amazingly, all the accusing enemies have been defeated in triumph. We looked at a dead man on the cross. That's what you would see. But something spiritual was happening. It was like the Roman triumph. In glory, Jesus defeats all his enemies and leads them in triumphant procession on the cross. So we see humiliation and shame, and you can make fun of it if you want to, but what happened spiritually was glorious and victorious. How good is that? What do we need to remember? We need to remember that you have forgiveness in Jesus. It's all been done. It's all been done. So now the Christian has, right now today, fullness in Jesus and forgiveness in Jesus. Now you've got the first symbol, right? The the fuel gauge. Full, you've got everything that you need in Jesus. And you have forgiveness in Jesus. See the delete key? It's been deleted. And then the hard drive's been reformatted. And then the online backup has been destroyed as well, if you need to go that way, right? Okay. The record of your sin is utterly eliminated. Fullness in Jesus, forgiveness in Jesus. Well, he's going to continue. And in order to understand what he says next, we need to do a little bit of Plato. How amazing is this, right? Uh, Plato. So what Plato says is, human beings live like people who are looking at shadows on the back of a cave wall. There's a light, okay? But when we look at the cave wall, we can see a shadow and we go, I think that's a human being. And what Plato says is, that's only the shadow of a human being. In heaven somewhere is a real human being. Earthly life is like looking at shadows, but there is a reality out there, outside the cave. That's what he says. Use that idea about shadows, and we're going to understand another little challenge for the Colossians. Oh, Colossians, you're not there yet. They said you're not living according to the Jewish law. You've started off as Christians, but man, we've got the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God tells us that we need to do this and this and this and this. If you're going to be a good Christian, you'll obey all of the Old Testament as well. Use both of these ideas and come with me to the next set of verses. In verses 16 and following. Because you've been forgiven, because you have freedom in Jesus, have a look at verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These, have a look what it says in verse 17. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. In other words, the Old Testament's really useful. It told us God was concerned for holiness in every single part of our lives. It told us that we would fail. And it told us that we needed a sacrifice to pay the price for our sin. That's what the Old Testament told us. That was the shadow. In Jesus, the reality has come. One man lived a perfect life. One man was the sacrifice for everyone else. The reality, you see, is found in Christ. And so don't let people condemn you. You don't need to be an obedient Jew anymore. Don't let people condemn you about that stuff. Know that these things will pass away. They've done their time. 
and that the realities are found in Jesus. Remember, you are saved by faith, not by trying to be a good Jew. That's a, that's a big relief for everyone here, is that right? It's not our challenge, really, is it? The other thing that the Colossians had to deal with was a thing called mystery religions or mystery cults. And what they would do is you'd be part of a mystery cult and they might get you really drunk at a uh, celebration, a, a worship celebration, or they might give you psychedelic drugs. And what would happen is you would have visions of amazing spiritual stuff and you would feel, I am better than somebody else who hasn't had these visions. Right? Man, at the, at the celebration for Bacchus the other day, I got really blotto and I saw some amazing things. Now, as Christians... What's the incredible vision that you've had? Oh, poor little, poor little tiny Colossian church, right? Colossians, you aren't there yet. Don't you know about angels and trances and visions? You must be such little tiny Christians. We know more. Have a look what Paul says to the church about that. Have a look at, uh, at verses 18 and following. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual minds. They've lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. In other words, what he says to him is, don't let big talkers make you feel small. Jesus, not angels, is the key to real spiritual insight. And if you want to grow, you need to be connected to the head, who is Jesus. What he's saying to them here essentially is, all you need is found in Jesus. It's all there. Now, I told you uh, last time I, I, um, when, I, when I set the, um, the passage up, there are apparently about 30,000 Jews that were moved from modern-day Iraq into this area around Colossae. So there just would have been a lot of Jewish um, people around the place. And so they were always trying to get the, uh, the Colossians to kind of conform, I guess. Oh, Colossians, you're not there yet. You aren't strictly obeying dietary laws and treating your body harshly. Why aren't you doing that? And here's Paul's response to that challenge. Have a look with me at verse 20. Uh, Since you died with Christ... To the elemental forces of this world, why, as though you belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. What's he saying? Well, death has set you free from the rules. You you don't have to do that. You died with Jesus and now you don't have to live like that anymore. Don't go back to them. If you've been set free from them, don't go back to them again. Those things will fade away and they really don't work anyway. So you can beat yourself up and guess what? It won't actually make you more spiritual than it did before. Remember that all you need is found in Jesus. So what have we learnt? We've learnt that Jesus alone can bring fullness. Jesus alone can bring forgiveness. And in the passages we've just looked at, Jesus alone can bring freedom. 
Now, I had a really interesting conversation with someone straight after the 8.45 service. He said, every time I see Jesus brought me freedom, I need to remind myself, it doesn't mean I can do anything. Are you with me? Jesus has won me freedom. Fantastic. I can go and indulge whatever I would like to do because I'm free in Jesus. Not what it means. Free from being a slave to our appetites and desires. Free to be holy. Free from slavery. Free to obedience to Jesus. It's not freedom from responsibility. It's not freedom from, uh, uh, freedom from um, uh, holiness. It's freedom for those things. So you're set free to choose to say yes to God and no to sin. So Jesus can bring us fullness, he can bring us forgiveness, and he can bring us freedom. As we come to, uh, to the end here, I want to give you some maths. Sunday morning, who's up for some maths? Uh, of course. Here's some maths. Now, I reckon this is a very difficult equation. Okay, so just limber up, get your minds ready. Okay, here's the equation. Ready? Here's the equation. Here's what we've learned. Jesus plus anything equals no gospel at all. Jesus plus anything. So it's not good enough to start with Jesus and then add more spirituality on top. That is not how it works. We start with Jesus, we finish with Jesus. So if you're sitting here today and you're going, I'm a pretty ordinary Christian, the last time I had the keto diet was by accident when there wasn't enough stuff in the whatever, you know, that uh, I, I don't think I really have a fitness kind of thing. I'm not really doing that. I, I just, I'm just... I'm at church on Sunday morning. I slept in this morning. It was pretty good. That's why I come to 10.30 anyway. Um, look, I enjoy watching people's pictures on, on Instagram, and the most exotic, exotic place I went to last week was Norellan. And, and maybe, you know, my great cause is to try and bring my kids up to know and love Jesus. Well, you know what? You, you shouldn't feel small. You're not lacking anything, church. You're here today with the people of God. You've praised the one who is at the center of the universe. We've asked him for help. We're orientating our lives about what is most important in all the universe. And so I would say to you, you don't need to add anything to Jesus. Jesus plus anything is no gospel at all. In Jesus, you have all that you need. And so I want to do a little diagnostic for you this morning. I want to ask you, does following Jesus feel like rules and striving? In other words, have you turned Christianity into a religion, a list of rules and hard work for you? Or instead, does it feel like relationship and rescue? I know my Savior and I love him. I know my Savior and I love him. And I think the diagnosis, the, the distinction between these is, do I know that I have fullness in Jesus? Do I know that I'm completely forgiven in Jesus? And do I know that I've found freedom in Jesus? Essentially what you'll find is if you're following a religion, you'll talk about the rules. If you're following Jesus, you'll talk about Jesus, won't you? So there's your diagnosis, struggling and striving, or loving and following Jesus.
Well, let me finish with the words that Paul started with. So then, dear church, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. You lack nothing because you have the one in whom all fullness is. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that those of us who know and love you might experience the fullness, the forgiveness and the freedom that you offer. Lord, save us from feeling inferior to our friends who seem to be trying to fill up their God-shaped hole with all sorts of experiences and exercise. Father, I pray that you might help us to live healthy and interesting lives, but that we might know that the centre and the foundation is Jesus. Father, save us from striving and help us instead to love and serve your Son. For we ask it in his name. Amen.